This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book with the Wednesdays in our service, and we have now come to the New Testament, and it's one of the good things we can say, Old Testament is promise, and New Testament is fulfillment. But then, when we say that, we say, ah, but there's certain reservations. It will be ultimately fulfilled. The first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God, and the last verse is practically 1 Corinthians 15, that God may be all in all, but what a, what a, an amount of backwards and forwards and ups and downs and life and death and disappointments lie between those two texts. But it will ultimately come. So instead of saying Old Testament fulfill, an Old Testament promise and New Testament fulfillment, I suggest we say Old Testament promise, New Testament preparation and ultimate fulfillment. Because, you see, we've got to face the fact uh, that there are many problems that seem at first to think, to suggest that something's gone wrong with the purpose of God. He sent his son with all the equipment that that son needed. And the very people who had got the book in their hands that they could turn to and say, yes, yes, he must be born of Bethlehem. So he was. He fulfilled everything that was written of him with regard to his earthly life. And they gibbeted him and they crucified him. Nevertheless, it says that while they were disobeying the very scriptures that they had in their hands, they were fulfilling them, for God said he knew what they would do. Now you see, this is not just a straightforward, cut and dry thing, is it? And the reason is that when God made man, man brought with him one little word, not in English, of course, but today, he brought into the whole range of things the word if. There was no if in Genesis 1. God didn't say, let there be light, and there was a rebellion, Nobody, no answer. There was light. It's almost, it's almost too wonderful to believe if you read the original. Simply just two words, light be, and light be. If you, can, if you can have a word like that, just how it goes, same words. That's a mechanical universe. But the heart of God is not satisfied with mechanical obedience. So into the world comes if. He made a man that could say no. And sin is saying no to God. And faith is saying yes to God. For the word amen simply means yes. Whatever God says, I agree. Well, the moment you've got a man that can bring contingency in, then God stands back. And he says, if you do that, I will do this. We move up to the days of Israel and they go before Mount Sinai. Moses came down to them and gave them an idea of what covenant relationship with God would mean. And they said, all that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses took back the words of Israel to the Lord. And he came back again with the Ten Commandments. They were the basis of the covenant. And then it says in the New Testament, if a law could have been given to a given life, then very life would have come by the law, but it couldn't. So here we got again something coming in that has an element of contingency about it. And one Old Testament writer says, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but time and chance happen to all. That's scripture. So you see, we must get rid from our minds of a sheer mechanical cogwheel purpose that will go on relentlessly. It will ultimately be achieved, whatever God's purpose, but he has devised it so that it will be achieved with the, oh, we're going to put it now carefully, with the willing consent of some who in the beginning said no to him. And ultimately by his love turned round and said yes. And I believe that's going to satisfy the heart of God.
far more than the fact that the planets have never swerved from their path and the moon has gone round and turned its one face to the earth and never said, I'm getting tired of this. The moon doesn't know it obeys, but you and I do. So that means to say we're coming, as we suggested last week, to the problem that some have, that there seems to be dis- uh, seem to be some discrepancy. Uh, you remember that we um, we turned to the first chapter of John, and uh, a deputation came to him and said, "What do you What do you speak about yourself? Who are you? Are you Elijah?" He said, "I am not." It was a cate- categorical negative. He didn't leave any loophole. I am not. And yet, you know, there's another passage which says, he is Elijah. What do you say? If you're going to have contradictions like that, how can you believe the book? Ah, but you see, there's an if in connection with that. Our Saviour was presented as king. He was born as king. He worked the miracles to confirm it. And then, he said, if these miracles had only been worked in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented and have been here to this day. If, you see, if comes into it. And he could work no more miracles because of their unbelief. And so instead of accepting of his king and the kingdom come in and the whole thing going on according to program, he said, if you had only known the day of your visitation, but now it is hid from your eyes, you shall not see me henceforth until you say, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Oh, look at the gap that's coming in there. And yet, you and I are rejoicing today because God foresaw this gap. And provided for it, otherwise you would have had no look in at all. But we don't belong to the kingdom. We don't belong to the promises made to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So the more you look at this, the more staggered you are, and the more you feel like Agog, you walk walk delicately, instead of knowing a whole thing from beginning to end. No, no. The one thing we do know is that God has complete control. He has never vacated his throne, but he's honouring the fact that he has under him those of us who are very undisciplined lot, and we have put a spanner in the works by saying no, but he can take that out in his good time and overrule it to his glory. So if you will now turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, where the uh, birth of uh, John the Baptist is recorded, there's some features in that I should have to postpone until another time. You see, in verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abiah. I'm going to venture to spend next time we meet together on this word, the course of Abiah. Not that you, not that it's vitally important, but the only importance I think about these things is that our faith does not depend upon a dream or a poem or a vision. It depends upon something just as historic as 1066 William the Conqueror. If Christ was not born at Bethlehem, if he did not suffer under Pontius Pilate, all the dreams of poets and prophets in the world would not bring salvation. So if this, if this pegs down the birth of John the Baptist, and we know the date of the course of a buyer, we know that our Saviour was six months younger than John the Baptist, we know that practically the time when he was born. And I think if we could only fix that down from the very teaching of Scripture, well, we've, we've done something else, but that's anticipating next time. We've got enough in front of us for these few minutes. Now you will notice in verse um, 13, And the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. 
And he said in verse 17, and he shall go before him, go before him, that's this one that's coming, in the spirit and power of Elias. He doesn't say he was Elijah. You know Elias is only the Greek way of spelling Elijah. He didn't say he was Elijah, but he shall go before him in the spirit and power. Now, if you are dealing with a contingency, if you're dealing with an if, now the point is that if Israel had accepted Christ as Saviour, John the Baptist was Elijah. If they didn't, Elijah is yet to come according to the literal fulfilment. God has got the complete control. So I think perhaps we'll look uh, a little bit further and, um, and notice in Matthew, the 11th chapter, that particular passage, that particular passage, Matthew, the 11th chapter, where it says, um, Now, uh, John has, has been uh, in prison and he sent, the, he sent a request to know whether there are, you know, he was beginning to get a little bit disturbed. Verse um, 2, now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he said to the disciples and said, I do art thou he that should come or do we look for another? So even John the Baptist was wondering why things had turned. He, the forerunner of the king, was in prison and practically knew that he was going to be executed. So don't condemn John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a forerunner of a king and he's in prison. So he says, do we look for another? Oh, well, we're not looking for another, but you're looking for me the second time, as our Lord might have said to him. But he, he didn't say that. Well now, um, he said in verse 9, But what went ye out for to see a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before my face, thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. And then it says, um, verse, um, verse 14, And if ye will receive it, now there's the point, you see, the word it is in italic, if you will receive, well, you must receive something. If you will receive the testimony that's been given you. If you will receive the, the historic fact that in the fullness of time the king was born at Bethlehem. If you will receive the witness of these miracles which have been performed. Such a mighty amount of them that you cannot get away with it. And you become guilty of sin against the Holy Ghost by rejecting them. If you will receive it and those then this is Elijah that was for to come. Then it says, verse 16, But whereunto shall I liken this generation? And here the Lord picks on that which has been true of all time, children playing. And children in his day evidently played the same as they do to this day. Or at least, I won't say that because I'm not sure what children do play with now. I suppose it's all uh, getting to the moon and that, but at least I can go back to the early days and know that they played at weddings and they played at funerals. And um, one uh, lady I know, she's now dead, uh, she said she saw a little child standing flat against a wall down a little alleyway and she, and she spoke, the child said, I'm the first baby. And round the corner they were playing weddings and she was waiting round the corner and she was the first baby. You see? They were playing at weddings. So he said to them, it is like unto children sitting in the markets and calling unto their fellows and saying, 
We have piped unto you, and you haven't danced. We have mourned unto you, and you haven't lamented. We've played at weddings, and you don't like playing at weddings. We've played at funerals, and you don't like playing at funerals. For, here's the explanation, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. He said, what are you going to do with people like that? You see? So that was the upshot. He came to his own, and his own received him not. But, God could always add a but, but as many as received him, who were not his own, that's in that special sense, came into life and blessing. They came to him just before Pentecost and said, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Because he'd given a nearly 40 days exposition of the Old Testament and he couldn't have done that without showing what God means to do with that people in their restoration. But he said, this time is a bit now, this time. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father holds in his own power. Now you go on preaching. Whether it's going to fall to the ground or whether it's going to be successful is not your, not your responsibility. That's where we are. So you see, be prepared in the study of the scripture for the intrusion of this if, because the moment you have a moral creature who has a little element of free choice or free will, and God stands back and says, now, I've got complete control, uh, that there is a little element of whether it will go this way or that way during the few ticks of the clock which make up time. Don't forget it's from God's point of view. A thousand years in his sight is but an evening gone. Six thousand years is just his working week. And at the end of the working week, the Sabbath comes, whatever men will do. But he will never bludgeon you into obedience or into love. Marvel of it is, he says, come unto me, and I will give you rest.